Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, uh, this, uh, this book, How We Choose to Be Happy, I'll just give a little bit of a background because about half of you haven't been here, um, was written by these two fellows, Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, um, when they saw that whatever venue they go into, there were a few people who just seemed to be naturally happy. And so they decided to do a little research and see what makes these people happy. Starting out, first thinking that they'd write a, a kind of chicken soup for the soul book on a hundred ha different stories of happy people. But much to their surprise and first disappointment, there were so many similarities in everybody's story they thought that, oh, well, we can't do a book with a hundred variations on the same theme. But then it occurred to them, ah, why don't we see what common denominators all these people have? And they, after the first 20 people, continued for the next three and a half years, three years, um, going around and interviewing people, mostly in our country, but all over the world as well, uh, who they identified as extremely happy people. Um, and they go to a town and say, um, you know, who's the happiest person around, you know? <laughs> and they go to the, the, the diner and uh, they'd say, oh, you know, Shirley, she's really happy, you know? And then they'd ask a few other people, oh, yep, Shirley, right? And then they go to Shirley, check her out, are you happy? Yeah, I'm pretty happy, you know? And then they'd ask if they could uh, interview a few other people in her life from different walks who knew her who might know her shadow side to see if she really was happy. And, and not everybody was. A lot of people were, or some people were kind of cheery and upbeat, but living in denial and miserable inside, uh, but said, yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy. Um, and then they did an extensive interview with the person to see what secrets they, they have found that made them so happy. And they came up with nine common denominators that were in every person that they interviewed. Uh, these nine choices. Um, and by the way, I just want to say that um, there was no, um, no pattern as far as socioeconomic or history. These were not people born with silver spoons in their mouth. Actually, the CEOs and the rich people with it, which these guys had spent a lot of time with, were generally not so happy, were some of the unhappiest people. But there were some happy, uh, wealthy people, and there could be a, you know, a janitor in Alabama, or a, uh, uh, it, it didn't matter what your socioeconomic uh, situation. And a lot of these people, new real tragedy in their lives. And in fact, that is one of the key components, ha learning how to deal with suffering and transform it into, into happiness. Um, so we have done so far six out of the nine here. And at first I was thinking, well, uh, maybe I'll do another topic. But then I thought, well, no. Uh, for one, there's this workshop coming up. For a second, when I talk about this, 
it makes me happy. So <laughs> I've been noticing a little bit of a drop off for you know the last month or so uh, you know, as the weather has gotten darker and uh, a, f a number of people have died who I've uh, been in touch with and some some pretty major dukkha. Um, and I just needed myself a bit of reminder about happiness. So I'll, I'll this will be true confessions I'll, I'll share with you. And it just so happens, as with anything in, whether it's Dharma practice or a spiritual practice or just training the mind or the heart, what you focus on, you evoke. So um, this is not completely altruistic that I'm sharing this with you. Uh, we've done six out of the nine, so uh, I'd go, I thought I'd go to the next one today, and if I ever come back, I'm sure I'll come back at some point, we'll, I have two more topics that I can, I can work with on you. And all of these are Dharma principles, so it's not like they're outside of the Buddhist teachings. I'll just go over the, the six that I've done so far, brief overview so you get a sense. The first one, the, uh, the essential first step, whether it's conscious or unconscious, they found was that people needed to have an intention to be happy. That we might think, oh sure, we want to be happy, but it's not a clear intention in their minds. A lot of people, the intention, their prior priority, primary intention is to be successful or to be loved, or to, and that can take various forms of manifesting what they think it will be to get them love. But having the intention to be happy um, is the start of it all, just like with all of karma. Uh, and this is not outside of the Buddhist teachings. The Buddha was called the happy one and in fact taught about suffering and the end of suffering, which is happiness. And the Dalai Lama, his main line, the first line in his book, his bestseller now, and uh, when he gives talks, I have a talk that I listened to in the last few months, is, the purpose of life is to be happy. That's how he starts. You know? That's why the Buddha taught as well. He taught going for the highest happiness and you get all the other ones along the way. So the intention to be happy. The second one is what they call accountability, where you're not blaming the universe or others for your uh, miserable state or things that have gone wrong, that you have the power to affect your life, to, uh, to change your attitude, to, uh, to hold it in a way and work in a way that can bring about happiness, that you're not just stuck as a victim. There is choice here, okay? Accountability, empowerment, really. The third one that we went over is uh, what they call identification. That is, knowing what really makes you happy. Now, which might be being kind to others, or contributing, or singing a lot, or uh, meditating, or getting clear on what really nourishes your heart and your spirit so that it's not kind of squeezed in after all the important busy stuff that you've got to do, uh, because there's a price to pay for that. So identification of those things first, and then the next step which goes along with that, the next choice is centrality. That is, making them priorities in your life and, and um, building your life around those things that make your heart open and sing. 
and then the rest of your life can be coming from a much more energized and alive place. The fifth choice, is that, yeah, fifth choice is what they call recasting. And recasting is the one that deals with suffering. That is not feeling so uh, overwhelmed by dukkha, by suffering, and feeling that, oh, life can't go on, or, well, now there's this, I'll never be the same. But, but using all the painful moments in life, which there are many, it's the first noble truth, to further develop a sense of compassion and aliveness, being there for the suffering and integrating it well, so that not only are you processing it and not running away from it, but that you can use it as another gift that you can give to the world because you have integrated what suffering is about. And this is just what the Buddha said. He said, if you know, if you understand suffering really well, you have the, the capacity to come to the end of suffering. As long as you are running away from it, you are doomed to be in a dance with it that it has gotten you, and it, that becomes the primary goal, to escape from suffering, um, even if it's an unconscious one. So to transform your suffering through wisdom, through attitude, through intention to be happy as a way to, um, to, to gain further happiness. And the stories, this book is woven with stories. I, I, I think it's in the, is it in the, uh, uh, it's in, in there, in the bookstore. Uh, I know, because they, they were going to order a bunch of it. Uh, it's woven with stories, and the stories from that chapter are really uh, so moving and poignant. Um, and they're beautiful, beautiful stories of people going through incredible dukkha loss and suffering and tragedy who have somehow uh, understood a deeper meaning in life. After Recasting comes options, and options means that there's, there's many possibilities in life. And if you get stuck with trying to have your plan succeed and just have that one plan, you're, you'll either pass or fail. But there's a, a flexibility that happy people have that truly happy people have that can, um, can maneuver and open up to, uh, to new ways of seeing and change, change their direction when it seems like their original plan isn't going to work. But one thing leads to another leads to another. If you're really open to it, then uh, there's lots of doors inviting you all the time. By the way, uh, just one more caveat, the, uh, something that, that you might find comfort in is really happy people are not happy all the time. You know? It's not that they're going around saying, yeah, I'm a happy person. Yeah. It's that they are more connected with themselves. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll just briefly read the definition they have of happiness because that can be a stumbling block for for people. Our definition of true happiness is a profound, enduring feeling of contentment, capability, and centeredness. 
It's a rich sense of well-being that comes from knowing you can deal productively and creatively with all that life offers, both the good and the bad. It's knowing your internal self and responding to your real needs rather than the demands of others. And it's a deep sense of engagement, living in the moment and enjoying life's bounty. So this leads us to the next choice, which is the choice of appreciation. This is one common element to all 230-some-odd people that they interviewed. Appreciation, which is very much like gratitude, but there are um, subtle aspects of appreciation. And this was actually the choice, by the way, that Rick, the, the um, co-author who I've gotten to know a bit, said was the most surprising for him in his personal uh, understanding of happiness. Because he thought of himself as a grateful person. Oh, sure, yeah, life is wonderful and I'm grateful. And, but he got a whole other level of what appreciation was as he started to Uh, meet with these people and hear their secrets. Appreciation, as he came to understand it, is really the same as mindfulness. It's being so connected with the moment that you don't miss it, that you see that life is giving us something in every moment, the unpleasant ones as well as the pleasant ones, for us to wake up to and to grow with. Um, one beautiful book that, uh, that also opens up the heart that I think the bookstore has uh, is this one called Gratefulness, the Heart of Prayer by a man named Brother David Steindl Rast. And it's a, a Christian, uh, he's a, he's a, a, a Christian uh, contemplative Uh, monastic, really, who um, is very much into mindfulness and and Buddhist practice. And the whole book is about mindfulness, but really about being open and receiving this moment, whatever it is that life or the Dharma is presenting you. So uh, I'll just read this little paragraph from him on this topic. He says, really, surprise is the starting point. Through surprise, our inner eyes are opened to the amazing fact that everything in life is freely given, what he calls gratuitous, but freely given. Nothing at all can be taken for granted. And if it cannot be taken for granted, it is a gift. True mindfulness gets that gift aspect of the world into view. When our intellect learns to recognize the gift aspect of the world, when our will learns to acknowledge it, our feelings learn to appreciate it, ever wider circles of mindfulness make our world come alive. In the end, gratefulness will be our full aliveness to a freely given world. 
there's a, an expression in Buddhist teachings that I'm sure many of you have heard before, that life is, is known as the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. This is the whole picture. If you're looking for happiness only for those peak joyful experiences, it will be very limited, won't it? Because, you know, they don't come probably as much as we'd like. You know? And then when they do come, it's, great, finally my life has gotten together. You know? And then, because everything changes, it goes. You say, oh, where did it go? How did I blow it? How do I get it back? And then you kind of, you can get into, and many people can get into the stance of kind of waiting for the next goodie to come along. And you know, the more you wait for it, <laughs> when's it coming? They said this stuff would pass, you know. It's like a watched pot. So it's really understanding that every moment of life counts. And this is where a fuller sense of appreciation comes into being. You know, you uh, pay good money to go to movies, most of us do, unless you're really leading a renunciate life. Most of us, and, and those who do, I, I bow to in honor. But most of us find that entertainment is a, is a nourishing, can be a nourishing part of our life. It can also be a uh, an overly consumptive part and, and fill our life. But when it's skillful, there's something very, I, I think, valuable about entertainment and the arts, the creative expression, the aesthetics. You go to a movie and you might pay your seven or eight dollars or whatever it is these days up in Marin. In Berkeley it's about eight or eight fifty at some movies. Uh, for a comedy, for a, an uplifting, inspiring movie, for um, some drama that moves us, for a melodrama. Some people even like to pay good money for horror shows. You know? <laughs> well, you pay good money to, to have all of those different shows in your mind because they can be entertaining and they can um, enrich us in some way if not just to have us escape. Well, in the same way, you have the whole show in here. Sometimes it's a comedy. Sometimes it's bright and cheery. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes a melodrama. Sometimes a horror show. Yeah. You get it all. Yeah. And you don't even have to pay anything. You know? It's gratuitous. It was a very powerful understanding for me um, to see my life as a movie. And one, one person I'll read from in a moment uh, has just this exact um, stance. Uh, the, one, the most probably transforming book in my life was um, Be Here Now by Ram Dass, as probably a number of people. Uh, could say the same. And the very last page in Be Here Now uh, of the, the brown section, the, the Dharma wrap, the quintessential Dharma wrap, is uh, you're standing on a bridge 
watching your life go by. You know, and there's this beautiful scene just, and you're going, wow, like that. And uh, I'm getting shivers as I, as I say that. Um, and I remember coming to the end of that mind-blowing Dharma rap and it having such a big impact because it made such sense to me to start seeing my life as this journey that, uh, not just a journey, but this, um, this incredible script that keeps on unfolding before my eyes that I don't have to feel that any one place the reel got stuck, you know, and needed a new splicing. It just keeps on coming out and out and out. And it's a wonderful perspective so you don't feel stuck in any one place. And this is one fellow who in this chapter on appreciation describes it beautifully. He says, I like to think of my life as a movie with thousands of vignettes, tiny scenes that fit together to create a dramatic and intriguing story, and I'm thrilled I get to be the star. <laughs> I look at every episode in my life as just the next scene. It might be good or it might be bad, but it's the next experience I get to have. I like to appreciate each scene for what it is whether it's comedy, drama, or tragedy. I value it because it's part of my unique story. When I read this, it was like, you know, oh, somebody thought exactly the same as me. You know? You're the star of your movie, and it's in 3D, and it's got smell-o-vision, and it's got, you know, <laughs> all the senses opened, and it just keeps on happening, and life is so creative that it never ends. It's, ne it's not like life or the Dharma or God or whatever you, you want to call it. It says, oh, what should we do next, you know? Uh, and there it is making up for six billion humans and countless other beings, you know, this amazing creative story because that's one of the functions of the universe to create. So appreciation is having a presence that looks deeply at this moment and really takes it in, savors it, tastes it, and enjoys the beauty. And with the tragedies or the, the difficulties says, what is here for me? How can I enrich my life that much more? How can I learn? What can I learn? How can I grow from this? And when we can have that kind of an attitude rather than, oh, why is this happening to me, then every moment counts. One of the um, teachings of the Buddha on right effort, there are a number of different components of right effort, um, and one component of right effort is the effort to increase wholesome states that have arisen that is strengthening a wholesome state when it's, when it's here. Um, and the best way to increase a wholesome state when it's arisen is to be very present for it. I might have talked about this in uh, September, I don't know, because it's one of my favorite topics. But when you're having a really wonderful, delightful moment, or when something beautiful comes through you, 
Uh, like generosity, there's this line in, in the Buddhist teachings in, in the Majjhima Nikaya, he says, thinking I am generous, one uh, takes delight, one gladdens the heart, one gains inspiration in the Dharma. That you can feel how good it feels without taking ownership and saying, aren't I a generous person, but rather, oh, how good it feels to be generous. Just the same way when you really feel love for somebody, oh, what a blessing, what a gift that I have that capacity and that humans have this capacity to really be present and not only be the love, but acknowledge and feel the love as a wholesome state. That is one of the best ways to increase the wholesome. Or if you're feeling a compassionate uh, thought that moves you to action, to really acknowledge, oh, how good that feels. Not to say, oh, no, 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 you know, it, it was either, it was a fluke or, uh, oh, well, that's what I'm supposed to do and, you know, let's get on with it. But to really take delight and appreciate your goodness as it comes through, a very skillful thing to do. When you do that, what you do on a karmic level is nourish those wholesome seeds. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful uh, chapter in Pieces Every Step called Nourishing Healthy Seeds. On a very karmic, basic karmic level, when you are present, when there is a wholesome act, there is the instant good karma of feeling the goodness in that moment, right? There is the increased likelihood of that response arising in the future because you're practicing that habit. And there's also the added benefit that whenever you reflect on a wholesome act, it brings you joy. Think of, for a moment, just think of something good that you've done, something wholesome or whatever, skillful that you've done in the last few days. Anything, any wholesome thing, even if it's opening a door for somebody instead of letting it slam in their face or whatever, you know. But if you've done, if you've just reached out and done something kind, just go inside for a moment and remember it. Remember what moved you to do that. Maybe you didn't even think it. Maybe it just happened spontaneously. And get a sense of how it feels as you remember that. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Does that feel good to remember a wholesome act? Why, you know, just let it pass out of your consciousness to say, oh, okay, well, that one's done. When we're, I mean, it's not like you have to keep on dwelling all the time on it, but actually it's a very skillful thing to do when you get down on yourself. This is the antidote to guilt or one antidote to guilt is uh, wise reflection. One aspect of wise reflection is remembering the wholesome acts that you've done so that you realize you're not all rotten. You know, you do some really nice things too. Sometimes I blow it, sometimes I do dumb things, sometimes I do really skillful things, and it, it brings joy to the heart. 
So appreciating the goodness that comes out of you, comes through you, is one element of this choice of appreciation. And it doesn't take much to feel that goodness. Last night, I, um, I had the uh, good uh, privilege of going to the San Francisco jail with Bo Lozoff, who was, who was here on Monday night. How many people saw him on Monday night? Uh, no. Bo Lozoff is this guy who runs the prison uh, um, ashram project for the last 20 years and uh, goes to uh, goes to prisoners. He's a, a ghost to prisons with his wife Sita. A very, he's a very high guy. And we went to the jail. There were a handful of us, and I just wanted to see him do his thing, meeting with these um, women uh, women prisoners. It was about 50 or 60 women prisoners in one pod, and then about a hundred. Uh, male prisoners. And he was just, um, he took out the guitar and uh, did a couple of uh, songs, Hallelujah, you know, Paco Bell and stuff like that. I was amazed. You know, he got these, you know, tough people, you know, doing rounds of Hallelujah, you know, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, some other kind of spiritual things. And then just gave a very simple Dharma rap about goodness and about getting in touch with your own inner beauty and um, the responsibility or the joy that comes from expressing that as well. And these tough people just were breaking down and sobbing. It was amazing. You know? and, and it was interesting that it was, it was, a, it was good. It was a good Dharma rap, but it, it wasn't a mind-blowing Dharma rap. <laughs> It was good because he was connected with it, but what he was saying wasn't so new. They were so hungry for that. They were so hungry to, to hear the good news, you know. I was amazed by the responses at, at the end. You know, they got up and cheered, gave him a standing ovation, and you know, they were saying, one person said, this, this woman said, I have not felt love in my heart for such a long time. And she started weeping, you know. You know, thank you for, for letting me remember what, what really is important. And it, was, it wasn't just, it was one after another, amen. And they would come up, there were about 12 of us, and they all, they came up and they, and they just wanted to shake our hands. And, then, and we went into the, to the, men's, the men's group, and they were waiting for about an hour and a half for us. But, you know, thought, oh my, when we heard that, we didn't realize, you know, we thought, oh, there's this, you know, hostile crowd of an hour and a half. And the same thing happened. It was, it was amazing. There, the human heart is so hungry to feel its own goodness. And... Uh, some of the people there who had gotten into meditation, because there's a little bit of some meditation programs, said, uh, I, I spoke to a few individually, uh, we had a chance to chat, and they said, um, you know, this is not a place I'd want to be, but I'm, it's one of the best things in my life that I've come here, because I found what I was looking for. Two people 
who I spoke to said that. You know? And then I heard a few others, they, they got up and said something like that. I've been looking for this stuff. You can find it anywhere. So when you think about that, just think of the bounty that we have, right? And how, we, how jaded we can get. Oh yeah, gee, it's kind of overcast on this Wednesday morning here at Spirit Rock. Gee, it would have been nicer if it's a sunny day, you know? <laughs> We just kind of forget. We forget how magical it is just to be alive and just to appreciate the fact that we can feel or look into somebody's eyes and say hi or feel the rain. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, doing the dishes is washing the dishes meditation. When you're really doing them, you feel the water and the, the warmth and the, uh, your hands and sliding through the, through the, uh, the, the liquid. And how, what a miracle it is just to be here standing doing the dishes. To have a consciousness that, that knows that it's alive. Amazing. But we can forget looking for the next big hit, you know, the next real peak experience that can, that's going to do it for us. And that, that's missing. That's missing out. I'll read a, a couple, of, uh, couple of other people's stories on appreciation and, and then uh, do an exercise and then we can talk. Hmm. This is uh, from one person who says, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think I can't believe I'm here. This is so wonderful. <laughs> now you might say, yeah, but what happens when things aren't going so well? Okay. And there was this, this one guy uh, during a workshop in California. This fellow Josh was struggling with the entire notion of appreciation, particularly with the idea that there's always something to appreciate in the moment. He challenged us with, okay, then how do you appreciate a traffic jam? We responded with a challenge of our own and a homework assignment. Consider your appreciation possibilities the next time you're stuck in traffic. Then get back to us. A chemist, Josh reported back in the form of a time-based scientific analysis. <laughs> I spent years, this is him talking, cursing my miserable commute each morning. It turns out to have been a total waste of time. I found an answer to your question. Now, instead of the 20-minute drive from hell, 20 minutes, not, that's not a bad commuter. There we go. <laughs> instead of the 20-minute drive from hell, I spend 20 minutes thinking about and appreciating all the marvels in my life. I'm in love with the woman of my dreams. I've been improving my relationships with my family. I'm taking much better care of my body. I'm doing yoga twice a week now. I live so close to beautiful hiking trails. I made some calculations. If I add up all my commute time over the next 15 years, I can spend more than 2,600 hours being angry at the world or appreciating it. I've made my choice. Yeah. The choice is ours. Really, or if you're in a traffic jam, another way, if you, you know, if you can't, if you don't have the relationship of your dreams or whatever, you know, think of something good in your life. If, 
if you have health, then think of that. If you don't have health, think of, of your good heart or the, or the Dharma or whatever, you know, good friend, one good friend, a pet, anybody, you know, anything. <laughs> but if not, then a great way to spend, spend a traffic jam is sending metta to everybody around you. And then they don't become obstacles in the way. They're a source for you to get in touch with your, your joy of heart. You know, may you have a good day. You know, may you not cut me off. Okay, you know, <laughs> may you share your, your, your love with everyone you meet. You know, and just that wishing well of the heart starts to open it. And uh, I'll read one more. This is Maddie, who had a, 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 a very traumatic childhood. Uh, she was the one, if you were here, who she and her brother were raised by this alcoholic uh, mother who, uh, in Hollywood, and they feared for their lives. And she made a choice that, with her brother, that they would do everything opposite how her mother did it uh, when she was about eight or nine. And she is, you know, a truly uh, evolved being. To Maddie, appreciation is not passive. There are three components in her process. First and most important, she actively looks for the opportunity to appreciate. Then she allows the feeling to fill her. She really feels it. Third, she goes the extra distance, distance and expresses the feeling out loud. And then this is her talking. It feels so great to express it. I send flowers right at the moment I feel the appreciation, or I stop what I'm doing right then, pick up the phone, and say, I was just thinking about you, so I call, call to tell you. I believe that when you appreciate the good in others, the good grows stronger. I tell people how they've touched me and the impact they've had on me. Sometimes I say it, sometimes I write it. I keep a pile of white note cards with me wherever I go. Throughout the day, I'll grab one and scribble a quick thank you to waitresses, charity volunteers, mailroom staff, to anyone who goes that extra step and does or says something that really makes a difference to me. Now, you might think, oh, that's a lot of work. But she actually gets off on it. It's like, oh, another chance to, to feel good. And I, I don't, I'm not so good with, with writing notes, but I do have a, a, um, a practice that I've had over the last 10 years or so that when I'm really touched by somebody, I'll tell them. When, even if it's the smallest thing, not just blown away from a fantastic Dharma talk, but somebody, I just noticed something really good about somebody that it's great to communicate it. Why keep it to yourself? Why not let them have the benefit of it? They feel good, and you feel more of a connection, and you feel good that you've just, you've noticed something beautiful. You know? So everybody wins, and it can be a little disarming. You know, you, uh, you don't want to be saying, you know, uh, God, I think you're beautiful or gorgeous to everyone you meet, you know, if it's on the physical level. But when you say, Hi, I really, I really noticed how, how thoughtful you are, you know, or when you did, when you did that, 
that thing, it really touched me, or you've, you've been doing a really great job, you know, why keep it to yourself? When people, I've seen this study of people on their, uh, at the end of their lives, people in old age homes, in, in nursing homes, and most of their regret, most of their, their sadnesses, in the sadnesses, they talk about what brings you joy and what brings you, uh, looking over your life, what you've learned. They say what, what they wish they would have known earlier uh, and have regretted is not telling people that they love them who they really love. Yeah. That's, that's the number one thing. And then not doing the things that, that brought them, uh, that would have brought them joy, kind of putting them on hold and the hold button never got released. You know. Why wait until the end to tell people that you really love them? And if you look for that in people, that's what you'll bring out in them. If you look for things to appreciate, when you're around somebody and they are seeing all your flaws, how do you feel? Flawed, right? <laughs> when you're around somebody and they see your goodness, even if they know your flaws, and you know that they see it or they've even told you. You know, if somebody has said one kind acknowledgement to you, that sticks in your mind, doesn't it, when you're around them? you start feeling beautiful around them. So we have a tremendous power to evoke out of people by what we look for. So if you keep on looking for the good, this is another one of my main practices, that's what you'll bring out in them. Now one thing about this appreciation is that it's got to include yourself. If it doesn't, then you're coming from a poverty place. Then maybe if you appreciate everybody else, they'll appreciate you back, and then maybe you'll be okay and worthy. That, you know, that might, there might be some merit to, to that, but it's, it's a, definitely it's a no-win situation because ultimately you can have six billion people line up and tell you how wonderful you are, and if you don't feel it for yourself, you're not going to scratch the itch. So part of this appreciation is, is appreciating yourself. In the metta practice, which is basically cultivating the intention to be happy, just like this book, in the metta practice, one key component, whether it's yourself or others or a difficult person, is focusing on something, some quality that you appreciate and that is a doorway to opening up the heart. So I'll just do a little bit of, a, of a, a, a metta with you right now. And, um, well, I'll do two variations about appreciating yourself. I don't think I did it with this group. Did we do any metta the last time? No, just at the very end. So first, uh, appreciation for yourself. Think of some quality that you have that you really feel good about. Maybe you're diligent, maybe you're sincere, maybe you're kind. And see yourself in your mind's eye 
manifesting that quality. Have an image. And then with that, to send kind thoughts to yourself. May I be happy. Just knowing you deserve to be happy. May I have real peace inside. May I really express my love well, all the love that's inside. Okay, just get a sense of how that is to wish that for yourself. And now I'm going to do, while you're in this, uh, um, within space, just do another little exercise about loving kindness for yourself that, um, that came to me during a, a period of intensive practice. I'd like you to think of somebody who you have a really warm relationship with. There's a lot of love between you. And again, it can be anyone. It can be somebody from your past, if there's nobody now, or it can be, it can be a pet. It can be anyone. Um, and not a complicated relationship. Somebody who opens your heart, who you know there's a warm feeling both ways. And have them, imagine them right in front of you. So you're sitting across from them, looking at each other. And just feel the goodness just as you think about them. Now what I'd like you to do is just um, imagine, the mind is very malleable, imagine that your consciousness can move from you out of your body through space and go inside their body and then Imagine being inside them as they look across from you and look out through their eyes and see what they see when they look at you, why it is that they love you, care about you. Who do they see? And with that acknowledgement, just imagine sending yourself those kinds of thoughts of, of well-wishing, which is probably what they wish for you. May you truly be happy. You can say, may you or may I, either way might apply depending on the vantage point. May you be filled with peace. You can imagine splashing yourself like a blessing with the words. May you feel all the goodness inside of you.
okay? And now, I'll just um, open the eyes for a moment slowly and just notice how that feels to appreciate yourself. Now, when you have that, that sense of belonging in the world, that it's not an accident that you're here, that everybody else is here and you're a mistake, you know, that uh, maybe I, I deserve to be here. Then, when you really can feel your own goodness, you're coming from a place of abundance. Then you've got a lot to give to others. And actually, it's a bodhisattva act to feel your own goodness because then that gives other people permission to feel theirs, too. You know, when you're with somebody who, not bragging, not conceited, oh, aren't I a wonderful person, that kind of takes it all away, but somebody who just knows themselves and is confident and, and, and sees their own beauty and therefore sees that in you, it allows that to come out of you. It's very different than being around somebody who is you know, beating themselves up all the time or doesn't feel good enough, you know, what does that bring out in you? You know, it's a very different feeling. So it's really a, 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 a very skillful thing to cultivate that for yourself so that others can do the same. Now, suppose, one last thing and then we'll stop. We can have a few moments to talk. Suppose you're having a, a difficulty with somebody, okay? And this is also out of the basic metta practice. Just a very quick exercise. Okay. Think of somebody you, you might be having some difficulty with, or who's, who's a difficult person. Right? And think of, if you can, some wholesome quality about them. Maybe they're different around their family. Or maybe they try so hard that they uh, have very high standards and make it difficult for themselves as well as others, but that re they really care. Or maybe when they were a child, they went through a lot of pain and suffering, and before whatever traumas they, they learned or lessons they learned, they were innocent, beautiful beings. If you can, contact some noble quality that you can appreciate in them. And send them some thoughts of well-wishing. May you, too, find peace. May you, too, learn to love really well. May you be happy. Just notice how that feels to have that kind of an attitude or possibility to them. And if you're not able to, then just forgive yourself for being just where you are. It's okay. Okay, you can open your eyes now. So, I hope you get the idea of how
powerful it is to make this choice of appreciating life. It's this moment has never been here before and will never be here again. To appreciate it for what it is and grow with it and appreciate your own intention to grow, to learn, and to share your, your goodness and your happiness with others. Okay, so we can take a, a few minutes if there's any comments or questions uh, before we go. expressing her appreciation of other people and compliments. And she, was, she, she went through a period of years of embarrassment that her young children, she, she had two children who would start a conversation with everybody, literally everyone they met, and say, hi, hey, I really like your sweater. Oh, you've got a great baby. You've got this. And she, she, she went through a couple of years of really struggling with that and telling them that they were bothering people and to be quiet. <laughs> and she finally noticed that people loved it. <laughs> and they, they, were, they really responded and made friends with them. And, and she stopped, she told them, you know, it's okay. And they were so, they said, oh, thank you, Mom. <laughs> right. not to do this. Yeah, it's very skillful. Thank you. you want to say? Real loud so everybody can hear. Well, I had an experience once in terms of appreciating life and, and being here for it. Can you hear in the back? Um, yeah. Yeah. Of having a lump that turned out to be a cyst, but I spent five days and quite terrified about it. And when it was all over, I realized, okay, anything that happens in my life, I'm here for it. I get to experience anything that's going to come along. Whether I like it or not, I'll be here. And it changed everything to know that I'll just be here and be appreciative of that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Even on your deathbed. You know, it's like, okay, here's the next chapter, you know. This is part of the package deal. All right, let's see what this one is like. You know? I was um, on the Hate Street bus last night um, going downtown, and um, that bus is always an experience. And um, <laughs> one of the pieces of it often is how completely non-engaged, non-interacting, non being together as a group, we are on that bus. There was a young child, maybe four, maybe five, who for whatever reasons um, started playing with the hand of the man who was sitting right next to her. Um, and she was, you know, she was like touching his fingers and making little sounds, and for whatever reasons, he was totally into responding to that and being present with that. And so the two of them actually had this amazing exchange. Just looking at them brought me such joy and happiness. And I started looking around at the other people around me, and they too were responding. What was interesting to me was to watch this little girl's mother who glowered, totally glowered, at what her daughter was doing. And I thought, now, isn't this interesting? All of the options that are available to all of us at all times. Yeah and where we go, and what we do, and how we may or may not even see ourselves in positions of having options. This little girl who started this whole thing, never for one second 
thought of herself as having an option. She was just being <laughs> right, her right, little girlness. Right, right, and yeah. um, the giftedness of it and the, the capacity to break through everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there was one little piece. I happened to get on the bus in a rather deeply sad mood for whatever reasons. And to watch how completely transformed I was, you know, was like, wow. So there was a little tiny piece of my own appreciation of my own capacity mm -hmm. to be able to be present yeah. and not have to stay yeah. in my sadness, but to allow, you know, this particular flower mm -hmm. to bloom mm -hmm. in my face. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, it's just one thought away. You know, you're having a really rotten day and really bummed out, and then somebody looks at you nice or says, oh, gee, that was re I really love that about you, and boom, your whole day can change. It's, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be stuck here for the rest of my life. It's one thought away, and just like, uh, like you're saying the, in the, the H Street bus, going to England is a perfect example. People are kind of reserved, 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 and then you just kind of say, hi, how you doing? And, oh, hi, oh, fine. You know, they might be reserved on a different level, but there's, there's, they want to be open. We all want to open up. We want to have that contact, but there's this you know, heavy or uh, guard all shield, you know, from the old Colgate commercial, you know, that feels insular and it's in a moment can be dissolved. We'll be going in just a few, uh, few min minutes. If you can stay till the end, that would be really great. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, Burke. Uh, I've been talking about this book since you were here in September telling people about it. And it seems to me that it could also be called How We Choose to Be. Or yeah. Or, after I thought about it even some more, the, the way the title is set up, the keyword is happy. But I think really the title could be how we choose. Yeah. Because choose is the most important one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so one last one in the back. Yeah. Um, my seven-year-old has been going through a period of time, which they do where you no know, one at school likes me. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, no one seems to want to play with him. Of course, that's just you know, heartache from a yeah. mother, and I laid awake last night going, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I started spending some time reflecting on what draws us to people, what makes people want to be around us, and what I realized that shows up a lot in my child, and I think it shows up in a lot of child, is they think that what's going to draw them to people is to boast about themselves, mm -hmm. rather than to show appreciation for the qualities of other people, because I thought, what draws me to my friends? It's people who make me feel special about what I do. Not for people to stand there and tell me about all the things that they have done, right. you know. And I just, when you were talking about the appreciation, I thought, you know, it's such a gift to me to hear this morning, you know, because now I have something that I can go and talk to her about. Mm -hmm. She needs to recognize the qualities in her friends that she enjoys, rather than trying to impress them with who she is. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's tuning into the other and giving them attention and really focusing on them, it takes it off of you in the first place, you know, oh, am I good enough or will people see me? And people love being seen, you know, and then they're so willing to see you back and say, wow, you know, I, I can, uh, it's, this, is a, this has happened a lot where people will, uh, they'll, they'll talk about their, their stuff and, uh, and I won't say much other than just be really interested in and they say, Wow, you know, you, you're so wise, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I'm just listening, you know. It's so, it's so helpful talking to you, you know. And I've kept my mouth shut, essentially, but just we all need to be seen and heard. 
and then people want to hang out with you. Sure, why not? Yeah, last one. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, what you're just saying reminds me of the importance of listening. Yes. Um, and something that, that many of us don't take, the, and we're so eager to say what we've got to say, we don't get out of our own agenda and stop and really listen to somebody else, even when they're saying something you don't want to hear, even when they're saying something that triggers you emotionally. If you, I mean, I've heard numerous stories of people who, who, if they can turn around and actually just hear the other person, the act of that other person being heard will transform mm -hmm. the whole situation. Absolutely. If there's tension or conflict. Yeah, yeah. It's another example. Yes, beautiful. And that's the essence of appreciation, is being here for the experience, whether it's what somebody's words are or what you're going through. It's, it's an active listening. Really, I, you can think of the whole practice of mindfulness as an active receiving experience with, with presence. Um, listening is healing. Because the universe is saying, hey, here, check this out. You know, it's an, it's an ongoing invitation to wake up if we can learn to listen well. This talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group in November 1999. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Aud. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.